welcome to Tape Ops Discussion, where we call our friends and music community notables to chat about their favorite records. Enjoy. Hey, Bo, it's Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm good, man. What's going on? Good morning. Uh, yeah, what is going on? A little bit of everything, you know. Um, but yeah, it is a good morning. Doing all right. How about you? Good. I'm, I'm coming to my senses. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. Every day it's like, how much, how much is it going to take to prop me up today? Welcome to Discussion. I'm Jeff Stanfield. This week we have Bo Sorensen discussing Talk Talk's Laughing Stock. So, uh, Talk Talk's Laughing Stock, why'd you send me this record? One of my favorites, by the way. I mean, I, I'll be honest, like, I mean, I felt a little guilty because I was like, it's a, it's sort of an easy, it's an easy pick and it's a, I mean, it's a favorite by many people and it's a favorite for many recording engineers. So it's like, I kind of felt a little guilty in choosing it, but I was like, well, if I'm going to be honest, like, I mean, that record has continued to have a huge impact on me, both creatively and emotionally. And I would even say maybe spiritually throughout my life and career so i was like i think i think i just had to own up and say that that might might kind of be the winner i learned about this record in uh from uh bandmate michael urbano um who uh, who um like 19 probably 1996 or 7 and uh he was like these two records by this band talk talk and of course i knew talk talk from you know life's what you make it um, mm-hmm. And I think it was even a Michelob commercial, as I recall. And wow, and, yeah. and you know, and I love, I love that tune. I mm-hmm. and I think of all the talk, talk up, you know, up to uh, Spirit of Eden and Laughing Stock. Um, that's my favorite track. And and you know, I I really wanted to go. I heard I started with Laughing Stock and Spirit of Eden, and it was hard to go back to those other records. Yeah. It's it's funny like I my I mean I kind of got there backwards in a way like I'm maybe a little younger so I I I mean to to sort of reveal my age a little bit like I knew the no doubt cover of It's My Life and um that kind of like at least made me aware of Talk Talk and I first heard of Laughing Stock from uh my my good friend Chris Walla, who we were working on a record together, and at one point it was getting a little bit thick and sticky, and we were like kind of lost in the weeds. And he's like, "Oh man, kind of, kind of afraid we might be making a talk talk record here." And I kind of laughed, and I didn't really know what he meant by that, but he was referring, of course, to the stories of Phil Brown and just how complicated and labored that record was and um i think asked if i was aware of it or whatever and i, I was like no I don't, like, I don't really know that one and i think two days later he came in in the studio with a copy of the cd and handed it to me and um i think maybe even we listened to it in the studio we spent the first part of the day listening to it in the studio and i i mean like everyone like my mind was completely split open by it so you know when i listen to this record 
it's it's sort of like you can listen to it endlessly and it's different every single time and if you put the headphones on this record it has got such weird stuff going on like almost like atonal non-related noodling happening and some of the stuff um there's these crazy you know horn arrangements but um it's such a meditation well it's interesting i mean i one of the things in thinking about i was like man i'm going to talk about laughing stock again like how do i talk about it and one of the things i was thinking was maybe my explanation for why it's my favorite record is that it's almost like a mirror in the fact that like i mean i can listen to this record when i'm remarkably depressed or i can listen to this record when i'm feeling optimistic or feeling creative it's like it kind of like it sort of bounces like it kind of bounces emotions back at me in this way or maybe i find them within there you know um i think sort of alluding to what you said too there's like so much to kind of revisit in there it's like sort of like a looking glass in a way and it's just very like modal you know i mean in a lot of ways it reminds me of like um uh in a silent way or like uh exactly i mean another another favorite record too yeah it's like it it kind of you can just kind of settle into it and just sort of live in that zone for a while It's a little ambiguous, you know, the, the, I mean, the, you know, some very strong melodies in there and, you know, it's such an amazing foundation for Mark Hollis's unbelievable, uh, emotive voice. I mean, there's, 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 no, there's really not, I can't think of a voice that, that sort of, uh, demonstrates more pain and torture in a beautiful way than his. I mean, I'm of course there are, there are a handful, but he's one of them. He, yeah. It's, it's really this amazing sort of like framework for his his voice to live within and express within i think it's really yeah it's really incredible played the harmonica that crazy oh, harmonica yeah. solo. mark mark feltham yeah yes yeah that which i mean that harmonica solo in itself is just like has fascinated me forever and ever as well The transition from from Color of Spring to these two records, these two final records from Talk Talk, um, are pretty. I mean, it's just it's stunning how different they are. I mean, there's there. Yeah, it's sort of hard to it's hard to explain to people in a way. But I mean, I think maybe when I talking about why I love this record spiritually, it's like outside of the musical content, which I 
you know, adore. I think it represents so much of what I love and respect in musicians. And that's like the the bravery to kind of make exactly what you're envisioning not be held up by what you've made previously. I mean, certainly not be sort of beholden to what you think is marketable or what a record label wants you to deliver. You know, it's like, I cannot imagine like being an A&R, an A&R guy and having this land on your desk. And, you know, I think there were lawsuits when this record finally hit. And, um, but I think that bravery of just like chasing, you know, a creative vision, I feel like it's so pure in this. And I guess along with that as well, I, you know, I have so much respect for Phil Brown and his dedication to helping these guys chase this thing, which, it, you know, from his stories, it was pretty torturous at times. But so I think it's maybe it's the commitment to the art is as much why I love it as the music, you know. Do you see it showing up in your work? You know, I don't know if I see it showing up in the music I do, but I think I I see it showing up in what I tell people and when people ask me about making decisions, it's like, um, it's encouraging people to be brave, encouraging people to like chase what they want to make. And I don't know, I think I, I think I making art is such a struggle. And I think I, it makes me sad when I see really creative people sort of being held down by what they think like they need to do to get on a playlist or to get a label to pay attention to them or to do those things. And I mean, I understand and respect those concerns, but, you know, I feel like so many of our favorite artists got to where they are by being original and being bold and being brave and not being beholden to stuff like that. So I almost feel like I, it's more of the ethos that I carry than uh, an aesthetic or a sonic thing, you know? Just just being able to have the record have focus with that material and that ensemble and that choice of instruments and it's just <laughs> yeah it's kind of mind blowing because it, it you know it's a record I never ever get tired of putting on and listening to because I hear it yeah. differently every single time I put it on I mean I know it was recorded at Wessex Sound but I for some reason I have in my mind that it was recorded in like a church I believe it was all done there. One part of the story where he talks about it, they got bored and they decided to change the rotation of the oil projector that was projecting in the control room for months at a time. But they found it so disconcerting that they had to switch it back because they'd been spending months in darkness listening to these tracks with like these projections moving in one direction. Like, I mean, they they kind of went a little crazy making it. Well, um, yeah. And, you know, the record was made apparently in like mostly darkness aside from those oil projections. And I think they had a strobe light. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some strobe light going on as well, and the the people that are playing on it, like they would have them come in to play on it, but they would only show them part of what they were playing on while they're playing, you know, which is also I think you know going back to the Miles thing, I think that's part of the on the corner story is that like like the people that played on on the corner only heard parts of things when they're overdubbing parts and it's a similar technique used here so people were playing to like fragments of stuff and then they would reuse stuff so i mean it's a it sounds like such a maze just to build it and you know having worked on records that are much less complicated than that that feel like even more difficult it's like how did you come out the other end with something that anyone wants to listen to you know
it's like uh, it's like you're on a drive and you go look over there, look over there, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yep. Yeah, but but when you do, like everything that passes, kind of makes sense and feels sort of great. I mean, I think I don't know what your experience is like, but I think my experience in the studio is that on a project, you might get like one or two of those that work out really well, and it's kind of like you're like, wow, like that that random thing that we threw backwards actually ends up being really cool there, or like. Yeah, we just kind of had somebody improvise for the full thing, and actually there's a bunch of great stuff. But a lot of times that stuff ends up being not that great, or you're like, yeah, I don't know, it doesn't really work. Or So to have so much stuff that feels like that and so many parts that feel sort of like chance but are musically rewarding is, you know, it's almost mir- miraculous to me, you know? Yeah, do you have any favorite favorite tracks on it? Um, I mean, the way it opens is just so stunning. I mean, that in itself, I I mean, I can remember sitting in the control room and just like, you know, hearing, hearing the sound of what I'm guessing is like AC 30 tremolo, like with nothing going on and, you know, and just being like, wait, what? I can always I can be instantly transported back to the first time I heard it every time I every time I hear the opener. So I mean that's pretty that's pretty wild for me. Yeah, to open the record with a breath. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like this is how you kind of enter this dimension and you're like this is the world you're going to be in. So I mean also just that as I mean just the patience of like being like you know we're going to just sort of like let you acclimate to the space the sound the intent and the noise floor of this record like i was like wow that's like that you just even in that in itself is so beguiling to me you know yeah amazing Thanks for listening. Discussion is created by Tape Op, the creative music recording magazine. Free subscriptions are available at tapeop.com along with our regular podcast and online content.